Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this was one of Paul's first letters to the church at Corinth, and we're going to see some things today uh, in, in Scripture. We're going to be having a communion service, so if you did not uh, get a communion cup on your way in, um, make sure you grab one of those here in just a few minutes. Uh, they're sitting right there in the back. Now, uh, someone once told me, um, very wisely said to me, um, that memory is a precious gift. Uh, memory is a precious gift. Would anyone be willing to raise their hand and say that as I've gotten older, I have forgotten things? Okay, a good portion. Some of you are too young to have your hand raised, but uh, we'll go with it. Uh, God has blessed me with this um, this ability to remember uh, everything. Um, I remember details. I remember what people are wearing. I remember times and dates. Um, so much so uh, that a coworker of mine uh, from our previous church actually just reached out to me this last week. And he said, hey, Josh, his name is Chad. And he reached out and he said, hey, Josh, do you remember that one event we did five years ago um, called, you know, this specific name? And he goes, I don't remember where any of our paperwork is, so much so that I could tell him the exact folder um, on his computer as to where that paperwork was. So here's the thing. In this, this moment, though, of time, I have come to realize that there are times in our lives when we get so busy, when we get so bogged down in the daily struggle of life that sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we forget important things. Sometimes we even forget precious things. Uh, I, I have conversations quite frequently with my wife and we find ourselves often reminiscing about things that happened in our past. So my wife and I are approaching almost 16 years of being together. And um, yeah, that's okay to clap. Um, I didn't say all good years, but we've been together for, for almost 16 years. Um, and we find ourselves oftentimes laying in bed at night reminiscing about things that occurred early on when we were dating. Um, certain incidences where, you know, one of our vehicles would break down on the way to work and we'd have to call the other one at 6 a.m. Like, hey, I need you to come get me on the expressway 45 minutes away from home. Those types of things. And uh, we oftentimes use the phrase, remember when, and then start the story. You guys ever use that phrase before in your conversations? Well, we, we say that phrase as a prelude because normally we're about to talk about something that we have forgotten. Remember when and then fill in the blank. Now, something that has become a distant memory for us, something that as we begin to recall in our mind the events, things become so clear. The time, the place, the people, the sights, the sounds, the smells, they come rushing back in to our memories. And all of the things that were tucked away are now crystal clear again in your memory. Well, as we come this morning to the Lord's table, it is a remember when moment for us as believers. Uh, a moment that as believers we have, we have a tendency, unfortunately, to forget about the sacrifice that Christ made. It becomes a distant memory and we end up failing to live our lives in light of what Christ has done for us. 
oftentimes we forget from about April, the end of April, until April comes again when we begin to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter and sometimes even a Good Friday service where there were, were reflections of the cross. We have this moment to, to have a distant memory of God and the thing is, is we are told to remember this unforgettable event that Christ did for us. We're told to remember. And not just remember, but we're reminded in Scripture that communion is more than simply just remembering what Christ did. We are to put our thoughts about the Word of God into action. We are to partake in a meal as a family which is symbolic of the Last Supper. It's the moment in time where there is physical action that is combined with a spiritual one that reinforces the memory of what Christ did for us. I would like for us to read just a few verses here in this passage. Now I want you to know Paul was writing this letter to the church at Corinth because they had forgotten what it meant to partake in communion in a biblical way. They had done so many things that were unbiblical that, that Paul was writing to them to spur them on to go back to remembering the truth. And this is what Paul said starting in verse number 23. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, meaning he prayed, and it says that he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 25, and in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And I love what Paul says here. He says, before you partake of communion, let every person, in verse 28, let every person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and, have, and why some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you right now in this place, Lord, and we, we see and have, have heard and have read a familiar passage, one that is often associated with this day, a day where we partake in the Lord's Supper to remember and reflect upon what you have done. And God, I pray that as we listen to these truths, as we pull apart some of the things that Paul spoke to this church, God, I pray that we would apply them to our lives today, that we would come back to a place of remembering. Holy Spirit, use, use this sermon, use this time to steady our hearts, to realign them with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
and amen. It is very important before we partake this morning and engage in this special and sacred time that we pause to prepare ourselves. We pause to prepare. So the first thing I would like for us to see this morning is that we must come back to the starting point of our salvation. We must come back to the starting point of our salvation. As we come to the table this morning, we must remember the day that Christ saved us. We were singing about that earlier, when death was arrested in our lives. That moment when we became free. I believe John said it perfectly when he said, Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I love that. The moment that you were set free from the bondage of sin, we are to reflect upon the day Christ saved us. We are to remember what life used to be like before Christ and before salvation. Now, for some of us, that's very hard because we've been saved for a long time or we were saved as children. And to those who were saved as children, I would simply say this. Never forget the blessing of being saved early in life. Never forget the benefits of being a part of God's family for so long. Personally, I do not want to try and imagine what my life would have looked like without God. I, anybody else in that boat? I don't want to imagine what my life will look like without God. I mean, especially in my teen years, going into my adult years, I look back and I think of all of the things that God and His grace guided me away from. All of the things that God guided me through. Now, I, I say that I, I did, however, make some very poor choices in life. As I believe that all of God's children do. Things that, that when we take a step back and look at them, we're reminded that Christ never left us. Even in those moments in the moments of wandering, there was a hymn that we used to sing when I was a child. And the song would go, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. But it goes on to say, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Meaning, I know my sinfulness in me. I know that I'm prone to wander away from you. But God, I want you to seal my heart. I don't want to feel that way anymore. That's sanctification. That's living in a repentant life. One who continues to come to God over and over and over because I want to be changed. I want to be different. I want to grow. I want to look different to the people around me. I think back and reflect upon what my life was like as a, as a teenager and as an adult growing up and all of the, the choices that I made that impacted and affected my life and my family and the people around me. How my sinfulness hurt people. You know, uh, a pastor friend of mine used to say uh, to us all the time um, that you never sin alone. You never sin alone. Your sin will always affect your circle of influence. But I remember and reflected back as I was preparing this, and, and I thought about all of the times where I had strayed away from God. And I love what David said in Psalm 32 when he said, My bones were crying out because I was away from you. 
I, I could not sit, I could not sleep, I could not be still because I was in a place of sinfulness, but I've come to realize in my life that when I repent, restoration occurs. Anybody else experience restoration through repentance? Moments where you repent and, and, and then things are restored in your relationship with God and then there was a time of rejoicing after that. David said to us in Psalm 51, as he's writing out his confession to God because of his sin with Bathsheba, and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. He says, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. He's begging of God to allow him to be with him. And then he goes on to say, and take not your Holy Spirit away from me. There's something very important that we have to stop right here. That I think that verse should come to the screen, Psalm 51. I want us to stop right here where he says, and take not your Holy Spirit away from me. There was a reason that David said this. There was a reason that David was crying out to God and saying, don't take your spirit away from me, because he experienced that very thing when he saw that God took the Holy Spirit away from Saul, from King Saul. And it says that he put a spirit of despair upon him, meaning that God was no longer using Saul. And David said, God, I don't want that for my life. I want you to be with me. I want you to be empowered through me. I want people to come to know your restoration and your grace and your forgiveness. And so David is crying out to God. So church, let me ask you, when was the last time that you went to God in repentance and said, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me? When was the last time? When was the last time when you were like, God, I don't want to be away from your presence? But then David doesn't stop. He says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you remember that moment of time when death was arrested in your life? When you knew that you had been forgiven? That your, your sins had been cast as far away as the east is from the west. There's a joy that comes. There's a, a willing spirit that is upheld in our repentant life. There's a, there's a, a moment in time where there's peace. Where you've been reconciled with God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, that is through the sacrifice of Jesus that we have been justified. And that justification helps us to live peaceably with God. Man, what beauty of the gospel. And he goes on to say a few verses later that, that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. So as we come to the table of remembrance this morning it helps to recall our salvation it, it helps to remember again afresh and anew that without Christ's sacrifice we would be doomed to a life of pointlessness pointlessness we would be doomed to a life of hopelessness without Christ and I believe Paul described it best when he said that we would be of all men most miserable without the gospel. Which leads me to our second point, that after we start 
and remember salvation, we must commit to living this coming year in light of Christ's sacrifice. We must commit this coming year to, to live in light of Christ's sacrifice. You know, sacrifice is something that we understand, but we often fail to do. We often fail to do. You see, most most see the point of communion as, as a remembering that Jesus, the Son of God, laid down his life. That, that he willingly went to the cross and he paid a debt that he did not owe. That sacrifice saved our life and that sacrifice has a sacred calling and a holy demand that comes with it as believers. I, I remember um, several years ago now, it's probably five or six years ago, um, we had a gentleman who worked on staff as a custodian slash maintenance uh, man. His name was Mike. He was an older gentleman, um, and he was a little bit rough. Um, you guys ever meet someone who's a little bit rough around the edges? Um, if you didn't raise your hand or you did not, it's probably you. Um, so there, there was a group of teenagers uh, our church was kind of located at the edge of a housing development. Uh, we had schools like within a few blocks in every direction. And our church was situated in, in a, a little city uh, that was up and coming very, very quickly. Uh, we had over a half million people within a 10-mile radius of our church. Um, we, we had a, a prime location, and, and so we had basketball courts outside in our parking lot that were open to the public. We allowed people to come onto our church property uh, for public use quite frequently. And there was a group of teenagers who every time they came onto our property, they damaged something. Um, they just, they, they would break something, they would smash a window in. I mean, it just happened on a frequent and regular basis, so much so that we got to know these, this group of teenagers on a first name basis. Now, I remember one specific time, um, this group of teens came and they were being so disrespectful and rude to our property, something that was open for them. And I remember Mike uh, came out of the building one day as he was there doing some work and he noticed what they were doing and he went up to them and he began to scold this group of teenagers. He begins, he, he begins to correct their behavior to which one of those kids yells back at Mike and he said, hey, it's a free country. You ever had your teen say that to you before? Did you ever say that when you were a teen? You ever thought that? You see it on social media? One of those teens say that it's a free country, and I remember Mike looked back and he goes, yes it is. But never forget there are many men who have died and given their all for that freedom. And he goes on to tell those young men that I doubt very seriously that, that those men would approve of your actions, your attitude, your antics. And as I was reflecting and remembering that story, I thought about this, that in a similar fashion, we too as believers are not to abuse, or as the apostle said, to frustrate the grace of God. How often with our actions, with our antics, with our attitude, do we abuse the grace that God gives? Instead, our life should be a reflection of the new life that was given to us through salvation. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that any man who is in Christ is a new creation. That the old things have passed away and all things have been made new. And he said to the church at Rome that those who are, are buried with him in baptism are raised to walk in newness of life. He says it again in Colossians chapter 3. You go to Ephesians chapter 4 and Paul says again that you are to walk worthy of the manner to which you have been called. This calling that you are to love with brotherly love. That you are to abhor what is evil or to hate what is evil. That you are, you are to think of yourself lower than the others. Selflessness. Paul says over and over and over, put on those things which are found in Jesus Christ. Have, have the same mind in you that is in Jesus Christ. That is a completely different way than what you were living. It's different than the old life. It's the new life in us, the, the Christ life that enables us to extend grace and love and mercy and even patience towards other believers, other non-believers, people who hurt us, people who do things wrong to our family. We're able to, we're enabled by Christ in us. This new life comes by yielding to Christ. Even in our daily struggles, we're able to find joy in our hardships. We find that relationships can be healed through Christ. And we come to realize again and again and again that his sacrifice equips us to deal with everything that life throws at us. You know, if we live in light of the fact that our life belongs to God and, and we surrender to his will and wants for our life, we come to realize a few things. I, I remember the day that I prayed for salvation with my mom, sitting in my parents' suburban, outside of, of family members. I remember asking about salvation. I remember telling my mom that I didn't want to go to hell. Did I know everything as a child, as a young child? Did I know everything about the Bible? No, I still don't know everything about the Bible. But I've been a believer for 28 years. And over the 28 years of, of having valleys and mountaintops in my experience with God, I've come to realize a few things. That freedom is not found in doing what you want. The freedom is not found in saying the things that you want to say. Freedom is not found in, in acting a way that you want to act, but freedom is found in boundaries that were set by Christ. And that freedom is found when we follow in the footsteps of Christ. And freedom is found when we emulate and when we imitate Christ. And we're reminded over and over and over again from scriptures that we are his disciples and we are to demonstrate the life by following in the footsteps of him. By doing the things that he did. We're not only commanded to do this, but we have been given the capacity and the capability through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was given to us the moment of salvation. And because of that, that means the power of Christ lives within us. We, we can live a sinning less life. 
We can live a life where we overcome certain situations and circumstances. We can live a life, though, that is marred by suffering because we're Christians. But that doesn't mean that we're doing wrong. It doesn't mean that we've hurt somebody. It just means that we're a Christian. It means that we're following in the life of Christ. Guess what, people? Christ's entire life was suffering. And he never sinned. I think one of the things that's often missed in the remembering of what Christ has done for us is the fact that Christ suffered greatly. And I love what Peter says when he, he tells Christians, he tells followers of God, that your suffering, your suffering shows people that you're one of Christ's children. He also tells us to, to don't think it strange when various trials come. Jesus' brother James told us to count it all joy when we endure trials of various kinds. But James also told us that we were to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I believe it was James who told us that faith without works is dead. James wasn't saying that your works are what save you. He's saying that your faith in God actually pushes you to do. Your, your belief in the death, the burial... In the resurrection, your belief in those things causes us to want to be different. Causes us to use our capabilities and our enablement to, to reach people. It causes us to want to display the fruit of the Spirit. Which leads me to the third thing this morning. And we need to set a course for growth and change. We need to set a course for growth and change. In my short time in ministry, I'm approaching almost 14 years in January, 14 years of ministry, I've heard a lot of people say that they look at communion as a religious activity that somehow clears the, the slate, somehow a start over for them. And while I guess I could understand that to some degree, the truth is, is if you're always starting over, you're never making progress. If you're always starting over, you're never making progress. Do you know by remembering the life and the sacrifice of Christ, we press on to know him more, to grow in him, and to change and become more like him. I love that Ephesians 4 tells us that we are to grow up in him who is the head of the church. That is Jesus Christ. Paul tells us over and over and over, put to death the worldly or the earthly things in us and put on that which is found in Christ. Over and over we are told that growth and change comes through the process of sanctification. Sanctification, the setting apart for holy use. It's the, the moments in times, all of the moments in times where we are obedient to what we know to be true. And when we are obedient, we're blessed. And that blessing is us being changed more into the image of Christ. 
That would have been a great spot for an amen, church. We as believers are to be changed. And the only way changes occur is when we're obedient to Christ. That is sanctification. Obedience. Sanctification, though, is often misunderstood. Sanctification is not the process of dying for our sins. I'm going to say it again. Sanctification is not the process of dying for our sins. But sanctification is the process of dying to self. The process of dying to self. We're in a race in this life. And progress is made through faithfulness and obedience. Process through faithfulness and obedience. The writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, And the writer goes on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So often we hear that verse when we're in the midst of some trial. Look to God in the midst of your pain and your suffering. But so often we've overlooked what the writer actually meant. The writer here, when he says, run with patience, the race, that word race is not the actual translation that it should have been. The Greek word here means agony. Let us run with patience, the agony, the the suffering that comes. And he says, says, please, please, please look to God in your suffering, in your trials, in your pain, even in your joy. Listen, I would love to stand before you as your pastor and tell you that the Christian life is easy. I would love to be able to stand here and and tell you all the prosperity gospel in the world so that we can fill up this building. But that's not what I was called here to do. I was called here to preach the truth. And guess what? The Christian life is about war. It's about war. Not one time are we guaranteed anything in Scripture except for those who believe. And you want to know what our guarantee is through salvation? Eternal life. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you're going to have millions of dollars. There's not a single place, not a single verse that tells me that I'm going to drive a Maserati There's not a single verse that says I'm going to live in some million dollar home and I'm going to have all the things. But you want to know what God's word says? That we have to run with patience because we will endure agony. But in our agony, we can look to the author and perfecter or the finisher of our faith. The writer here was was just reiterating what Paul said in, in Philippians when he said that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. The day of Jesus Christ, the day when we get to stand before God. You know, there are witnesses that have gone on before us. 
There are people who struggled and fought and, and grew and changed. And through their agony, they crossed the finish line. Do you know of somebody in your life? Somebody who was a believer and yet they struggled over and over and over again. And, and, and at the end of their life, I was just telling the prayer team before I came up here. At the end of our life as believers, we're going to stand before God one day. And in this life, if we didn't seek to be changed, I would be very worried. If we didn't seek to follow God, if we didn't seek, if we did not seek to do what he commanded, I would be very worried and not to be all doom and gloom, but there is a moment that we're told about in scripture where we will stand before God and God's words will either say to us as believers, you fought the good fight, you finished the race, you kept the faith, now please come in because you did very well, my good and faithful servant. But then there's also those who will hear, depart from me, for I never knew you. If we go back to Jesus' ministry and the book of Matthew, there are people who, who Jesus talked about when he said, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, for I did not know you. He was talking about people who believed that they were Christians and they had no real relationship with him. We hear about it in the book of Hebrews as we were talking about downstairs in the prayer room. There are passages of scripture where people believed that they were Christians just because their parents were. Listen, just because your mom and dad were Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you went to church or to Sunday school or to vacation Bibles doesn't mean that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you've experienced grace through faith that has saved you. There must come a time in our lives where we take a hold of our faith and make it personal. Or we take a hold of our relationship with Jesus Christ and we make it personal. When we endure what God has set before us, this race that is coming. Church, I don't, I don't believe there is much time left I don't know a date and a time the Bible tells us that not even Jesus himself knew but with the way that our world is moving I do not believe much time is left the Bible tells us very clearly that there are those who will rise up to lead people astray there will be those who, who attempt to share false doctrine, things that will, will draw people away from Christ. They'll even make them sound good. There are, there are preachers right now in our culture that are doing this very thing. They're spreading heresy. They're leading people not closer to Christ, but they're leading them closer to worldliness. And anything that is anti-gospel, 
anything that is anti-God is anti-Christ. And so church, we have a moment today to remember God's word, to reflect upon truth, the truth, the only truth. Don't be led astray in our culture. Don't be led astray by television. Don't be led astray by music. Don't be led astray by these people that they're calling influencers in our culture. Ones that create videos and videos and videos that have millions and millions of followers. They're telling people to listen to their heart. Guess what? The heart is deceitful and wicked, according to Jeremiah. Maybe today, maybe today, while we're prepared to head into the new year, with just a few short days to close out 2021, Maybe we should spend the little bit of time remembering why we gather here on Sunday mornings. Maybe we should spend a little bit of time that we have left remembering what Christ has done. Reflect upon where truth is found. Reflect upon why we gather for communion. And remember what we're called to do and how we're called to live as believers. Paul told the church to let every person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There was a self-examination that occurred before communion is to take place. A moment where you are to spend some time alone with God, asking God to create in you a clean heart like David did. Asking of God, if there is anything in me, reveal it to me. If there's any way that I've gotten away from your truth, if there's any way that I have strayed in my mind, in my actions, God, reveal it to me. Use the Holy Spirit's power so that I can be right with you, so that my relationships here on this earth can be right as well. There's a moment, just a moment. And so here, in just a second, I'm going to have some very light music played. If you did not get an opportunity to grab a communion cup, they're sitting there in the back. And I would like for us to take the next few moments of reflection, a time for us to seek out God a time for for us to mull over and meditate upon the words that were spoken here today and in just a few moments I will lead us through the partaking of communion and the elements and then we will close so if you would go ahead and play some light music and and I would ask of you at this time to please be in an attitude of prayer
there are two focal points here this morning. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, these symbols here have no saving power in and of themselves. The first um, is going to be the symbol of the bread or the body of Christ. And the text tells us here in 1 Corinthians, this is where I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The text says that Christ's body was broken for us. What this means is that just as bread gives life to the physical body, Christ's body was for us so that we might have spiritual life. The Bible describes Christ in the book of John as the bread of life when it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When we gather and we take the bread of the Lord's table, we are to break it. We are to pass it amongst ourselves. And it is a reminder to us that Jesus is our life. He is the one by whom we live. Jesus is our power to obey his commands. He's the word of God. And it's the one that helps us to love one another, to forgive one another, to be tender, to be merciful. It is his life that enables us to be sanctified. He said that there was thanks that was given before the eating occurred. And so I'm going to pray now over the body. God, we come to you in this place and, and we have no accurate words or descriptions that could tell us about how your body was broken for us. And so God, I'm, I'm asking of you at this time to help us have remember when moments more and more and more frequently in our private, in our personal devotion life with you, God, that we would reflect often upon the way that your body was bloodied for us, that it was scourged for us, that it was hung upon the cross. God, thank you so much for an opportunity to be made right with you. Help us never forget. In Jesus' name I pray. We may now eat. The second symbol is the cup. And the cup symbolizes his blood, which he said is the blood of his new covenant. Blood is the end of life, and the old life in which we were dependent upon and lived for is over. This cup means that we agree that we are no longer living for ourselves. That when we take this cup and we drink it, we are publicly proclaiming that we agree with the sentence of death upon our old life. It was the bread that gave us new life, and it's the blood by which this new life flows through us. As we come to the table, we remember that Christ gave his life so that we might have new life and live in this new life. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your blood. The blood that was spilt for us. The blood that would give life. We thank you, God, for the, the beating that had to be endured. God, we thank you that you, you wanted us 
that you didn't want heaven without us, that you gave us an opportunity to come to know you. God, help us to reflect upon how great you are to see your splendor. God, use this last little bit of time that we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.